Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the third Sunday after Trinity, June 20th, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the Old Testament lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Job chapter 38 verses 1 through 11. can be found on page 835 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Job 38 verses 1 through 11. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by my words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before we take a closer look at what might be the most important section in all of the book of Job, it is necessary to do a brief reminder of Job's history just to establish some context. Job was a pious, honorable, and wealthy man who lived in the land of Uz. He had ten children, seven sons, and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and many servants. He was widely known and respected among the people of the East. The kind of man you'd expect to be elected to AFLC Annual Conference Committee Number 2. I'm not saying Job had a world's greatest dad mug, but I'm also not saying he didn't have one. Everything was all fine and well for Job until Satan drops into the presence of God. After a brief conversation which involved God bragging on Job's faithfulness and piety, Satan was allowed to destroy everything Job possessed, save for his own life, as a way to demonstrate that Job was simply spoiled. Turn up the heat, Satan said, and Job was sure to curse God to his face. And so in a series of cruel tragedies, Job lost everything, including all ten of his kids. But he did not curse God. After this, Satan again was in the presence of God, and God pointed out the steadfastness of Job's faith. And again, 
Satan does his work, accusing Job of still being spoiled. Strike the body, Satan said, and Job would certainly melt down and curse God. So God permits Satan to do everything but take Job's life. Satan strikes Job with loathsome sores from head to foot. Even Job's wife begs him to curse God and die. But Job refuses. After all this, Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, show up to console him. And for seven days, and all of three verses, they were perfect friends. Kind, compassionate, and understanding as they wept with Job. But starting in verse 3, everything goes sideways for Job in his faith. And it all has to do with the awful, terrible, no good counsel of his friends about Job's suffering. If Job would simply confess his unrepentant and hidden sin, God would relent and it would all be okay. In turn, Job responds to his friends by insisting on his innocence. God must be mistaken. If only Job would, could plead his gay case before God, everything would be all right. And this cycle repeats itself multiple times, with Job confessing his faith at time and at other times maintaining his innocence, all while his friends are still miserable helpers indeed, pointing out Job's miserable sinfulness until we get to our Old Testament lesson this morning, when God shows up. And in response to 35 chapters of whining and pontificating, bad counsel and misplaced faith in himself, Job speak, God speaks to Job. The question before us this morning, what would you do if God essentially bent out of heaven looked you in the eye and said, put your man pants on, we need to talk. That's what happens to Job. And the sum total of what God speaks adds up to one simple reality. God is sovereign. But what does God's sovereignty mean for Job here in his book and for us in the midst of tragedy and suffering? And that's what we're going to explore this morning as we look at our Old Testament lesson. And so first, majesty and order in creation points us to God's sovereignty. There's a lot science and the scientific method can tell us and do for us as we live our lives in fallen creation. We've seen it on full display over the last 15 months as we've come through a global pandemic that is responsible for the taking of literally millions of lives. In the last 60 years, we've put a man on the moon, we've digitally connected nearly every human on the planet, and we've increased the length of life expectancy for almost everybody. The amount of research and information is virtually endless, but it's also created the illusion that science itself is virtually endless and unstoppable. 
The use and study of science has led many to a misplaced worldview, even as a quasi-religion. Science is now the anti-spiritual answer to literally everything. I guarantee each one of you has heard one of these three phrases in the last year. Trust the science. Believe the science. Only science. These are the mantras that are espoused in classrooms and shouted at anyone and everyone who would doubt the new orthodox atheism that we all live in. And it's true. Science can tell us a lot about the world we live in, and in that usage, it's mostly good. But science cannot tell us how the world got here. Science can only observe what's already here. And that's why we need to pay attention to God's first words after calling Job to attention. Where were you? Not how, not why, but where? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. You see, when everything began, when creation was set in motion, God was there. Job wasn't, neither were you, and neither was I. We can hope to begin to understand how creation functions, but we will never fully understand the power or the artistry or the miracle of God in speaking the world into, into existence. We might create with what God has already made, but God creates out of nothing. Every little bit of our universe, every intricacy and detail, it was all individually and specifically designed and made by God. And all of it points us to this one simple truth. God is sovereign. But, and secondly, God's sovereignty is not necessarily good news for us. This is where Christians today fall off the other side of the horse. If the world around us loses its mind for the sake of science, Christians have a misplaced faith in the power of God. Now, I know that sounds weird, and before I'm burned at the stake, bear me out just a little bit, but it all comes down to the reality that God's godness, His majesty, His power, His sovereignty, all of that is not necessarily good news for us. I say this because much of modern Christianity is obsessed with getting into the presence of the sovereign God. We want to be there before the God of all the universe. Because when we do, we kind of think it's going to be happy fun time. But that's not true according to Scripture. What our Old Testament lesson tells us is to pay attention as God scolds Job this morning. 
Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. And in reality, the next three chapters, God lays out the majesty of his creation and asks Job, can you do that? Do you understand that? In this specific situation, Job is a pathetic, know-nothing human who ran his mouth for a little too long, and God speaks out of a cosmic tornado of terror. But the point of this exchange is to demonstrate to Job and to us that God is holy, powerful, majestic, that he's God, and we are not. God scolds Job into silence because Job has demanded an accounting from God. In Job's mind, by the time we get to chapter 38, God is the one who has screwed up. God is the one who has missed the mark. God is unjustified in causing all this suffering and calamity and tragedy in his life. And if only God could see things as Job sees them, God would relent and everything would be okay. In short, the entire book of Job is about breaking the first commandment, trying to remove God from his duties as God and replace him with ourselves. This is a daily activity for every single human that has ever lived. Each and every one of our sins is our confession of faith that we believe we should be God, that we know better than God, that we can do better than what God has done. God is unreasonable or out of touch or unfair. And God will have none of it. Why? Because God is sovereign. And what that means is that God knows what he's doing. So much of human suffering is summed up by and contained in the word, why? Why did this happen? Why did it happen now? Why would God do this to me? It's a real and raw question that deserves weeping and compassion and patience. And what I am about to say is not intended to be said apart from those three truths. And I promise that there will be a payoff in just a few moments, but it must be stated. Because of God's sovereignty, and in light of everything we've just considered about it, the why of your suffering is irrelevant. Because God knows what he's doing, and he's capable of doing it. If God can lay the foundations of the earth and hang the stars in the sky by the breath of his mouth, he can handle your suffering. If God can manage the sea in all its unrelenting wild power, 
and establish boundaries for every one of the continents, he can handle your suffering. God has both the power and the ability to work through whatever you're dealing with right now and whatever you have dealt with and whatever you still might have to deal with. It is not a challenge for God. But that's not the point. The point of the whole book of Job, and of all Scripture for that matter, is not only that God can deal with it, but that he wants to. Because God is sovereign. And in God's sovereignty, and in his ability to do it, God put on human flesh and came to us. And in God's majestic power, he was nailed to a cross and died in our place. And in God's perfect knowledge, He shed His blood and paid for all your sins. And the end of all this is that God, in His sovereignty, rose from the dead, defeated Satan in all his machinations and maliciousness, overcame your sin and your selfishness, and put an end to death and all suffering. Because Jesus Christ, on the cross, in your place, for the forgiveness of your sins, and Jesus Christ, emerging from the tomb, is the final and perfect expression of God's sovereignty, and it's all for you. God knows what He's doing. And that's why each and every Sunday morning I tell you about His Son. And I apply to you His blood. And I point you to the resurrection. I can't tell you why God has caused whatever you're suffering through right now. But I can tell you that God has overcome it. I can't tell you right now if God will restore your fortunes the way he restored Job at the end of the book. But I can tell you about the resurrection, the perfect restoration of all things at the end of time. I can't tell you much because I'm currently in your shoes. I suffer and I sin just like each and every one of you. But I can tell you that God's word binds me to point out to you that you don't know it all because you're a sinner. And I can tell you that God's word binds me to forgive your sins because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I can tell you that Christ's body and blood are waiting here to deliver to you the forgiveness of all your sins. I can tell you that God cares for you and cares about you and loves you more than you'll ever know. I can tell you all of this because God is sovereign and because God knows what he's doing and because God has done it. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.